Welcome to our new micro podcast series, where authors answer four questions provided by the Journal of Neurophysiology's Editor-in-Chief, Professor Nino Ramirez. Hi, I'm Jamie Jones, your host, and I hope you enjoy this new series. Sit back, relax, and take a listen. Hello, my name is Daniel Free, and I'm here to talk about the recently published paper um, titled Essential Tremor Accentuates the Pattern of Tremor Band Coherence Between Upper Limb Muscles. Um, I'm a PhD candidate at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, working under Dr. Stephen Charles in the Neuromechanics Research Group. Now, just a little bit of background on this group. We focus on investigating how healthy humans control their movements, what goes wrong in movement disorders, and then using technology to evaluate, assist, and rehabilitate people with movement disorders. So since tremor is the most prevalent movement disorder, it has been a topic of interest for us for many years. We were particularly impressed by the widespread nature of tremor and surprised to learn about the number of patients who are left without satisfactory suppression. As engineers, we often think of optimization and so started to think about how we could optimize some of the current treatment options. Seeing the potential of peripheral suppression techniques such as, such as injections of botulinum toxin or localized electrical or vibrotactile stimulation, we decided to focus our efforts there. We believe these methods could be optimized to deliver the greatest suppression with minimal side effects if we could answer this main question. Which muscles are most responsible for tremor? Unfortunately, this question is difficult to answer because the arm is a complex dynamic system and just measuring the muscle activation through surface EMG and observing which muscle is most activated in the tremor band doesn't necessarily reveal which is most responsible. The muscle's strength and effective moment arm, in addition to impedance factors of the arm, greatly influence the effective muscle force on the resulting motion. In addition, this dynamic system is coupled, meaning that motion in one joint can cause motion in another. Therefore, a tremorgenic signal in one muscle can potentially cause tremor to spread throughout the arm, a process we call tremor propagation. This can occur because of multiple factors, including multi-articular muscles, impedance factors like inertia and stiffness, and feedback mechanisms. This complicates the issue of finding responsible muscles. So in an effort to solve this problem, a member of our lab, Adam Pig, one of the co-authors, collected data from tremor patients at the NIH Clinical Center in connection with many of the other co-authors, namely Johanna Thompson-Westra, Karen Mente, Corinne Maurer, Dietrich Hobenberger, and Mark Hallett. So they ran this experiment where they measured surface EMG, muscle activation, uh, in the 15 major muscles of the arm, as well as the joint motion from the seven degrees of freedom from the shoulder to the wrist from 25 patients. At a later time, I ran the same experiment with control subjects. Now, these subjects performed both postural and kinetic tasks, pointing at and moving between various targets while their muscle activation and joint motion were recorded. We recorded also the maximum voluntary contraction of each muscle at the end of the data collection and used that to normalize our, our muscle activation data. Previously, this data set has been used to characterize the distribution of tremor in the joints and the distribution of tremor, tremor band power in the muscles. Both of these are important steps to kind of understand where tremor comes from and, and how it manifests. Um, and, but before we can do the last step of really comparing these two um, data sets, meaning the, the input data, the surface EMG from the muscles, and the motion capture data from the joints, we feel like we need to understand how the muscles themselves are related to each other um, in the tremor band. 
before you can do a correlation between inputs and outputs in a system, you need to understand if your inputs are correlated with each other. And that's the purpose of this paper. So to be clear, the purpose of this paper was to characterize the relationships between muscle activations in the tremor band of patients and controls. Um, in this, our collaborator Dar Dario Farina um, was a great help in interpreting our results, um, as was my fellow PhD student Ian Syndergaard. I believe that covers all our, our co-authors now. Um, as part of our, the last little bit on methods, we relied heavily on typical processing techniques for surface EMG to extract the information in the lower frequency tremor band, which is 4 to 8 hertz, namely that of high-pass filtering, rectification, and low-pass filtering. We then calculated the coherence between each muscle signal and chose the maximum value of coherence in the tremor band to use in statistical analysis. Now, coherence basically is a frequency-dependent correlation. It tells you how much two signals share um, at each frequency. Additionally, we performed the Hilbert transform on our surface EMG signals to find their time-varying phase values, and then we could find the phase difference between muscles. All right, so what we found is that, on average, Muscles that can be considered agonists of each other tended to have the greatest amount of coherence or shared neural drive. This may seem intuitive, but really we got to remember this is done in the tremor band, not at voluntary frequencies. It seems though that even at, at tremor band frequencies, these agonist muscles still share lots of their um, neural drive. These muscles additionally tended to have uh, activations that were in phase with each other. On the other hand, antagonist and unrelated muscle, muscle pairs um, had less coherence than agonists and not statistically different uh, coherence between each other. Um, and these ones ran the full gamut of phases, sometimes being in phase, um, sometimes being anti-phase, sometimes being just out of phase, um, or else they were inconsistent over time. I mean, they, they were none of those. They were kind of a, they spanned a whole lot of different phase differences. The phase differences were inconsistent. Um, additionally, we found that a majority of the muscle pairs in patients had significantly more coherence than controls, and that the differences between patients and controls also was greatest among agonists and less among, among antagonists and unrelated pairs. This led us to conclude that tremor accentuates the existing pattern of shared drive between muscles. In other words, the deficit of tremor is not in how the signal is distributed, but in the periodic nature of the tremor signal itself, coming from either centrally originated or peripherally originated uh, signals. So our next steps obviously are to run this analysis where we look at the inputs and the outputs and see can we map and decide which input, which muscle is most responsible for tremor in each output. Um, we've actually performed this analysis and that paper is currently under review. In parallel though, our lab has been pursuing a few other methods to um, come at this and answer this question of which muscle is most responsible for tremor. Um, we've included a modeling approach in one uh, path, and we've also used a frequency estimation methods in another path, and multiple papers are being written on these topics right now. So we hope you look forward to, to reading those. Um, we certainly think it's an interesting topic um, to answering which, question, which muscles are most responsible for someone's tremor. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Journal of Neurophysiology and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the Journal of Neurophysiology's homepage.